Pardon me for my voice. I'm not, I, had, I was a little under the weather this week. <laughs> um, I, I spoke at um, uh, DBU. Uh, uh, Evelyn invited me, and I just literally lost my voice. It's never happened to me. So if that happens, I got water. I'm good. I just needed water. Um, so pardon me. <clears throat> I had a weird note that <laughs> saying. Um, so anyways, just pardon me for that. Um, and bear with me with the <clears throat> weird tone that may come out. But I'm excited and thankful that uh, we are here. My name is Israel Martinez, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Redeemer. And again, as Brian mentioned, bear with us. We're going um, through some renovations. It's been about six weeks um, trying to get uh, this place uh, uh, nice and clean and orderly. It will be a place that we are able to lease out as a venue and be able to bring in a little uh, revenue that way. And so pray for us in that. And also just a place for us as a family to, to meet and grow together. And so we are thankful for what the Lord is doing. And um, again, uh, we are in a, a mission and vision series. And so we'll talk about that as we walk through. But today we are on the, the uh, of all nations or all nations part of our mission statement. And so you've walked into what is week five. We'll wrap it up next week. Um, and, and today I just want to start with a simple question. That a lot of times of Americans we don't even think about because we're like, I'm American. Um, but, but I want to think, want you to think, and may, maybe think a little deeper. Or if you are from a different place or country, I just want us to think, wh- where do you come from? What does that mean when someone asks you that? Where are you from? <clears throat> you say Texas. You say Mexico. You say, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes people say, I don't know. Um, that's how I used to answer that question, because I, I was born in Germany, lived in different places. I didn't know how to answer that question as a kid. Um, so where do you come from? Think about that. I mean, God created you, and, and then he fashioned you to be born in a specific family from a specific country in a specific area in that country. And so think about that. Where do you come from? Who are your people? What is your people group? Americans, we are a people group. Think about it. And then in that, is there another people group you identify with or are connected to? Or said another way, the Bible says it this way, what nation are you from? Um, You see, um, from the beginning of time, God had a plan to make different kinds of people. People with different physical characteristics. With different skin. Different hair, eyes, different sizes, different languages, different cultures. And you see, simply said, a, a nation, it, it, break it down, what that word means, um, make disciples of all nations, is, is, is ethnos in the Greek. is where we get our word ethnic or ethnicity or the idea of a people group or a certain type of people that have a culture and speak a language. So the original word, again, um, in the Greek, in the New Testament, is that, is that word ethnos, and that just means nations. And so we obviously, again, get our word um, ethnic or ethnicity from that. And so this word is also translated, if you've been to church before, Gentiles. I remember I grew up, grew up in church, and there's a Gentile, Gentiles. I didn't know my whole life that Gentiles just meant nations. Oh, that just translate it to nations, please, because Gentiles, all I thought was like the Jews and the Gentiles, like this creepy thing. Like a villain. Um, most of us, if we're not Jewish, are Gentiles, or meaning nations, other nations. That's all it's saying. 
And so, um, so, so with that idea, the, the, a nation or Gentiles or an ethnos is an ethnic group or a people with a similar culture. That involves language uh, most of the time. Um, and, and cultures, in, in a sense, define or can help us qualify a people group or an ethnicity or a nation. So then think about it this way. Where do you come from? And then what is your culture? Culture can simply mean what a people is and what a people does. The, the dictionary de- defines culture as the, the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation or a people or other social group. So the word culture comes from the Latin word cult. What? Or cultus, okay? So that is where in Spanish when we say, we say worship service, we say culto. Sounds like what? We, we mean worship service. We don't say culto in English. That would be weird, right? It's like, am I going to a cult? No. But that's where the word cult comes from. It's a group of people that do a thing together. It defines, it helps us, that's what helps us understand that word culture. Um, and so, again, the word cult or cultus, which means, it just means to worship in Latin. So um, something that is worshipped or highly valued, that's what the word cult means. And so when we talk about a nation's culture um, or define a nation's culture, we're really talking about um, what that nation's, what they are and what they do, which points us to what they worship. Again, nations have cultures. In, In other words, people and nations generally have something that they worship. And God's word is clear that we are supposed to worship him and that we are supposed to love him. That's how our ultimate mission starts. And so all nations are to do the same. Nobody gets a pass. And God's word is also clear that we are to love people. And so primarily the way he has called us to love him and love people is by following the great commandment, which leads us to the great commission. So to love God, to love people, great commandment, which pushes us to the great commission. How do we do that? We love people by making disciples of all nations, and then we glorify God. And again, we are in that all nations piece, but oftentimes when we think of Jesus and making disciples, we forget about the all nations part. And God has a different role for everybody. God's not telling everybody to go to some crazy nation, but my challenge back to us is do you love your own nation? And what about the people groups in your nation, in our nation? Literally, Irving, we have one of the most ethnically diverse zip codes Zip codes in the U.S., here in Irving. In DFW, God is making DFW, in a sense, the new New York City, like where everybody used to go and talk like this, right? So think about 1800s to 1900s. That's when everybody went to New York City, okay? And then 1900 to 1950, Chicago blew up. From 1950 to 2000 is when the L.A. area really blew up. And now you guys, if you are living here, are in the midst of the new New York City in our nation, DFW. We're going to move past Chicago, I think, in in this year um, for the third largest metro area. So we have something to steward. And and there there aren't churches really in DFW that are, are, I think, focusing on reaching the nations or or people that that have that kind of bent. And so I think, like, the, the Lord has given us something to steward. And what starts small as a mustard seed grows, Jesus says. And we're, we're praying desperately, Lord, bring your harvest. Like, bring people who love the nations. Bring people who, who want to grow in this. Nobody is an expert here. Our country says this thing and that thing, right? Republican, Democrat, black, white, right? And Jesus says, 
love the nations. And he calls all, he challenges all of us in that. He calls all of us to grow. And he calls all of us, like, like in the story of the Good Samaritan, to love people that we are unexpected to love. Does that mean accept their sin? No. That means actually you might have to uh, grow um, some courage and say, I got to call you out on your sin. That's actually love of people and love of the nations. And telling different nations, you know what? Your religion is wrong. And, and it may, people may hate you, right? They may call you a bigot. They may say these things against you. Oh, you're not, you, you, you don't accept everything. No, Christians don't accept everything. We accept the word of God and we follow Christ and that is our law, right? And so in that, guys, God is sovereign. He is king. And he's brought um, us here in DFW in Irving to, 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 to do what he's called to do. So we learned last week from the great commission in Matthew and Luke that we are to be true disciples that make disciples. Like if you're a true disciple, you will be making disciples. And God's word clearly teaches us how to be a disciple and how to make disciples. <clears throat> if you can go look at last week's sermon, listen to it online, and we talk more of that. And we'll talk more of that today because we're talking about making disciples of all nations. And so God's word is very clear that we are to make disciples of all nations, not just of Jesus or some, he says, make disciples of all nations. It's what he told the disciples. Again, that can feel weighty and like, I don't know, I only speak English, I don't know what to do. It's okay. God has made you a certain way. He's called us to do a certain thing. He hasn't put a burden on you. He said his burden is light. His commandments are awesome. So it's actually this opportunity to grow in learning of the nations, like, like anything, like love of God, love of people, making disciples. A lot of times we come to God's word and we're like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's so much, so overwhelming. And God says, stop. He said, this, is, this should be a joy. You shouldn't feel overwhelmed. Like, I don't know. You're like, I don't know anything about nations. I don't know anything about other people groups. It's okay. God does. And he is, he is the father of all knowledge and wisdom, and he wants to give that to you and to grow you. So this is what happens to us sometimes as Americans is when we talk about the love of God, any theological issue, love of God, love of people. These are our big pillars here at Redeemer. Love of God, love of people, making disciples of all nations for God's glory. It's what we say is um, our ultimate mission or abiding in Jesus. Like that's what Jesus told us to do. He said, you abide in me, I abide in you. It's the secret sauce of Christianity. So it starts with the love of God. So all these other things can be works-based if we don't have, are not anchored in the love of God. But what happens is we're like, I love God. Of course, I talk like this and I don't do anything wrong. Like, come on. We're all sinful. We're all broken. We've all made mistakes. And yes, you do. If you are a Christian, you can say, I love God. You can claim it. That's your identity. But also know your past. Don't forget who you were and don't forget who God is. And in that, when we, when we see that, we don't put a cap on the love of God. We ever increasingly continue to grow in love of God. And then we, we keep growing in love of people. It's like, oh, I love people. I love all people. I don't believe you. <laughs> I think you're a liar probably. Um, we all hate people. It's okay. Just be honest. That's why, oh, I'm not, I've never been. Uh, brother, brother, me, I've, I've never. And we may talk. Oh, come on, we've all judged people. You judge your brother and sister like, you're ugly. Your nose is big. Like, come on. At our core, we're sinful, broken people. When we admit that, then, we can, then God's like, okay, now you can go play. Now I'll let you grow. I'll give you meat now once you admit that you can't handle the meat. He's given us milk, and he wants us to eat meat and grow in the knowledge of him. So today we're going to worship and learn 
from our triune God that the, the whole Bible reveals God's heart for the nations. The whole Bible does. So we're going to see a promise of a redeemer who loves all nations. We're going to see the promise that God is in control. We're going to see the promise of a redeemer in the Old Testament, the promise of a redeemer in the New Testament. And we're going to conclude with the idea that the Great Commission shows us that we should and, and what, what we should and can do to make disciples of all nations. And so our big idea is today that God loves the nations and you should too. We just sang about it, we're going to sing about it some more, and we're going to see this in the Word. So let's start by reading Matthew um, 28, 16 through 20, our text. I think it will help us understand um, more clearly where we're going and Jesus' heart on this. So look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and it says, if you have a device, turn on your Bible, follow with me, I encourage you. Have your words in the text, that's going to help you um, grow and understand it and hide this in your heart. We want to be people of the word centered on the word of God and his gospel. So listen to this. Matthew 28, 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, last week we learned that true disciples, um, that if we are true disciples, we will make disciples. Excuse me. And God's word clearly teaches us how to be disciples and how to make disciples. So we can be encouraged that God's word is clear and and that it it specifies it and says, make disciples of all nations. And again, it teaches us that if God loves the nations, you should too. So now, this doesn't mean as an individual that you're responsible for making a disciple of every nation that has ever existed. There's an obsession now with like the 1040 window and all these people groups, and that's great. But that's not what God has called every single person to do. He calls some people to do that. He calls most people in humanity to take care of their own nation, to be a missionary to your own nation. Paul did not leave the Roman Empire, and he was super missionary. He stayed in, like, America. He maybe went to California and then to, like, Texas and New York and maybe Canada, maybe, you know, maybe Mexico. But he didn't really leave. He didn't go. He wasn't as crazy guy. We do have some just through uh, extracurricular um, biblical uh, uh, and that's not from the Bible, but just uh, Christian literature that maybe Thomas went to India. We do have that. And so, yes, God is calling some of us to, pro- to go, but he's not calling everybody. I thought because I'm brown and I'm literally mixed with all these different people groups, like, I, I got to go to the nations. I look like the nations. I got to go to the nations. And as I've been on my Christian journey, I feel like the Lord has said, hey, it's, it's okay. You're also Texan. You like uh, country fried steak and uh, white gravy and stuff like that. And so, like, it's taken me a while to realize, hey, I'm Texan. That's okay. Uh, you know, I grew up in Texas. I like Texas. I like that I can catalyze people from here. And so it's okay. Like God has something specific from all of us. He's made you um, either a Texan or new to Texas or whatever the thing is. Um, and wherever you're from, he's given you something to steward. And so I think you should just, we should all just be really encouraged. Again, we're not, we're not here to, 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 God doesn't need us. But he wants to use us, and it's obvious that we can't reach every person. But as a church, as a whole, as a Redeemer church, our heart must be to love the nations. 
and we can really love all people, and God can use us to do all kinds of beautiful things. We've done stuff in Germany, in Colombia. We're just a small little church plant, and the Lord is using us to reach the nations. We have a lot, even uh, a lot of missionaries in, uh, in our congregation that are going places and have done stuff. And so God is good. And so I want us to look at Matthew 28, 16, and then review the point of this passage. And then I want to give us a biblical look at God's heart for the nations and show us what we should and can do to make disciples of all nations. And to remember that, guys, God actually loves the nations and you should too. So let's look at... Um, Matthew 28, 16, which again is known as the Great Commission, which is part of our mission statement, to, uh, our ultimate mission to love God, to love people, and to make disciples of all nations. Again, it's what it means to abide or live in Jesus or said in another way to learn and live out the gospel of Jesus, his story, which the Bible says is our gospel too. Because we are part of this gospel, like he's used us, meaning this good news proclamation we are part of this good news proclamation, this, this story, the gospel. That's the message God gave us, this good news story of Jesus. And so um, God said in the beginning he created everything. He created all nations, all people groups, all colors. He created everything. And he said it was good. And we often come and we say, no, God, your creation's ugly, it's bad. That's what history has done. That's what humanity has done. But God said, oh, it was actually good. And then what happened? There was this fall, and humanity fell. And God said that in that, brokenness came. Through Adam and Eve's sin, and, and, and there was uh, um, sin that was then inherited to us because they failed just like if you were Adam and Eve, you would have failed too. And then... Christ brings us redemption, right? Because this, this, this story, that's where the whole Bible, uh, 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 like the, the linchpin of the whole Bible is that the Jews, they keep messing up. They keep making mistakes. They, they, they see God's creation. They love him, and then they fall over and over and over and over again. And then what happens? This Jew, this guy from a specific nation that wasn't famous, he wasn't important, he probably looked different. To most of us, I used to think Jesus was like white and had blonde hair and blue eyes. And then people were like, he probably looked more like you. And I was like, nah, not Jesus. And then I was like, oh, like Jerusalem is right by Africa in the Middle East. Okay, yeah, he looks like a Middle Eastern dude. Makes sense. Um, so, I mean, we would see Jesus and probably look over him. He probably wasn't tall. I don't know. The Bible says in Isaiah it alludes to him not really being anything to look at physically. Um, but he was this perfect man who lived from a nation that was different than ours. It has cultures that are di totally different than ours. Jewish people, they're loud. They're, they're explosive. They're like Mediterranean people. They're like Latinos, right? Um, uh, Americans are generally loud. Well, Americans are loud, too. Um, go, go to Europe and ask them. But, but we're also generally, compared to Mediterranean people, we're more calm. We're more quiet um, a lot of times. We're not as expressive. So his culture was different. But this man came and lived a perfect life. He lived 30 years of perfection. He was tempted just like us. Whatever you're tempted with, the Bible says that he was tempted just like us. He knew our pain. He knew what it meant to be 100% human, 100% God, and then he was murdered. And he was murdered for the glory of God because he, it, 
because of that, because God is just and perfect, Christ had to be put on the cross and take on the, the anger or the wrath of God, all that power that we even sang about this Lord of hosts, God put that on Christ. And in Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, he was the one that then was able to take that because he was God and he was human. He was the perfect sacrifice, the lion and the lamb, two things that don't go together, the alpha and the omega, human and God. That's the God that you serve. And this God then resurrected. He died for three days, resurrected, and came back, and he walked, and he told the, the disciples about himself. We looked at that last week. In, he's, I'm, in the, I'm in the Old Testament. Don't forget. I'm in the Old Testament. There's a lot of me there. And then he, the Bible said he ascended, and he promised to come back again and recreate. We will actually have new bodies, the Bible says. New bodies, but actual bodies, just like your body now. You will have a new body. We're not just going to be floating angels there's more to life than this, than living like our lives now. God has created us for something bigger. And this gospel calls us to, to love God and love the nations. And so let's look at our text today. And we're going to see that the, the whole Bible um, reveals God's heart for the nations. And so let's walk through our text. I'm just going to walk through it and, and, and bring some things out. And then we'll look at some other, some other uh, scriptures and some other things. So again, look at Matthew 28, 16. It says, now these 11 disciples went to Galilee. So Jesus had just resurrected. They went to the mountain with Jesus, told them, hey, meet me at the mountain. They're like, okay, yeah, you were dead, now you're alive. Sounds good. And so verse 17, and when they saw him, they did what? They worshiped him. But then some of them doubted, just like we do. It's just like combo. Verse 18, and it says, Jesus came to me and said, I, I see your doubt. I see your worship. He says, all authority has been given to me, not, not us, but our authority comes from Christ. And if you have the spirit of God, you can claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then Jesus says, the authority is mine. That's one of the big points here in the Great Commission. Then he says, go therefore. Now this word go really means, the, the verb is not in the go. The verb is actually in the make disciples. So li literally, it's a command. We're supposed to make disciples. Of all nations. And then he says, go. So this go, a lot of times, like, oh, go, it means I need to go to the nation. That's the command. I need to go to the nations. I need to go to Africa or do this thing. And Jesus is like, calm down. He's literally saying, as you're going, that's what we're going to sing this later, as you're living your life, yes, some of us may need to go somewhere else, but that's not really the main point of this. He used the disciples to catalyze that. But he's saying, the idea is, as we're going, that's what he was telling them, as you're living your life, like now, like right now, Every Christian is, the super Christians aren't supposed to make disciples. All Christians are supposed to make disciples. We're all supposed to be true disciples that make disciples. That's your purpose. After loving God is to make disciples, to love people. That's how you love people in the most intimate way. And so he says, go therefore, as you're going, as you're living your life, go make disciples of all nations. Don't, don't just make them of your own people. Look around and look at all the kinds of people. God is calling people from all nations. He chooses people and calls specific people from all nations. He's not saving everybody. The Bible is clear. Some people will suffer because they will reject God. They don't want God. But you know what? All, none of us want God. That's the point. And then God is going to save some of us. Some of us who don't want him, that's what he's done. He's chosen and saving, so, uh, saved us from ourselves. No human deserves Christ. Nobody does. Well, we can think, oh, we deserve God. We're, we're, you know, what about that poor kid that, that, you know, never did anything and lives in Ethiopia? 
Well, if that kid existed, he would deserve God, but he would be Jesus because he would be perfect. But that kid doesn't exist. That kid is broken and sinful just like you. That person that, that we, and it's good to have compassion. But the point is that none of us deserve God. That's a fallacy. We think we deserve God and we don't. And because of that, we realize God saved us. God's the one who changed my heart. God opened my eyes. He actually saved me. He loved me first. And he's called us to repent and believe in this gospel, to really believe in who he is. And then that's what, once you see, it's like you can't unsee God and his gospel and his call to make disciples. And once that call is impressed upon your heart, you have to go and make disciples of all kinds of people. You don't have, you don't, um, have preferences. You just love people. And then Jesus says, in his authority... Go and make disciples. And there's three um, words here that help us understand how we do that. He says baptizing them. Again, that doesn't mean just sprinkling them with water. Although that is one of the things we, we don't sprinkle people with water. We baptize them. We immerse them. Um, so Jesus, he said, follow me in baptism. So Jesus did that. So we follow that. But really the word in the original language meant to immerse. Like we immerse ourselves in this gospel. We are immerse ourselves like you put a pickle, a cucumber that then is in vinegar for a long time and it comes out as a totally different thing. That's what this means. That we would be baptizing these disciples in Christ, immersing them in Christ and all his goodness and all his, the hard things he says that he calls us to do. And then it says, baptizing them in the name of who? Of a false God? No, of the triune God, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The actual God, because sometimes we baptize or immerse people in the wrong Jesus. It's the Jesus that, uh, of prosperity, right? Or maybe the Jesus, the, the God who's angry and, 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 and wants to control every single thing. We have, we make up false gods and false Jesuses. And here we're supposed to make disciples of the actual triune God, the God of the Bible, not a made-up God. And then in that, he says, teach them. So as we're immersing them, there's actually things that we're supposed to teach people. Teach them what? Teach them to obey, or in the Greek it's obey or observe, same idea. To obey what? If we don't love God's word or his commandments, then we can't make disciples. He says, teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. The whole, the whole law and the prophets depend on these, on what? How does he start? With the great commandment. Jesus says the whole law and the prophets means the whole Old Testament depends on this, commandments. We don't like commandments as humans. We're like, I don't want, especially as Americans, we're like, I don't want commandments. I want freedom. I'm American. Yeah, liberty and justice for all, right? We say that. We don't like commandments. Commandments, uh, we're Texans too. I don't like commandments. I want my guns and my stuff and my land. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We're entitled to that. In a sense, the, the great commandments tell us, right, don't steal. So what does that imply? That we can own stuff. It's fine. We can own stuff. Just don't make the stuff you own an idol, right? Don't make it stuff that controls your heart. Because our main aim in love should be God and, and then God's word. We're going to enter John in a few weeks, and it starts with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. If we don't love, if we're not obsessed with the word of God, we're not obsessed with the God of the Bible, we just are, are obsessed with an idea of God. But the Bible says to love him, to, uh, to really want to, want to teach his Bible, to want to observe his word and his commandments. And he says, guys, if you love my word, 
He says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. I'll give us a quick example of what I think um, the, the, the word of God. Like sometimes we, we get, we're like, oh, man, there's so much of God's word. I don't know how to memorize it. I don't know where to start. Uh, we're like, I don't know, so I just don't look at it. It's overwhelming, right? Guys, that's not how, we, that's not how God wants you to come at his word. He wants you to come with joy. It's like, hey, it's, imagine a map of the United States, all 50 states. Who knows everything about Montpelier, Vermont? Nobody expects you to know that unless you're from there, right? So who cares? Like, you don't have to be obsessed with, like, I know everything about Ohio. Okay, you may know the state. You may know the capital. Okay, good. Do you know every street in Columbus, Ohio? I don't, I, nobody does. And so imagine the depth of, of how, how much wisdom there is in God's word. So just come at it like I love maps. I just like looking at maps. It feels like I, I, it gives me joy, like I'm traveling. I'm a former military. I don't know why. I just love maps. I, tr- I grew up in Germany. I was born in Germany. We, we traveled a lot. So maps just kind of like I, the other day I just looked at where I used to live as a kid, and the memory was there. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the route. That's my house. And so it, it, just having that love for that map. And just being like, hey, I don't have to have, who expects you to have Google Maps memorized? That's why we have Google Maps. You don't have to. You can just enjoy the map. Enjoy looking. Like, I'm going on this trip. I'm going to Cancun. or I'm going, And you just go and you kind of look. You're like, cool, that's awesome. That's how we should come to God's word. Nobody expects you to know the, all the capitals and all the streets of every 50 states. It's overwhelming. Just come at God's word and, and come excited to look at the map. But you know what happens? When you start studying the map, you're like, oh, yeah, you know what, uh, Texas is there, and there's San Antonio, and there's Houston. Oh, yeah, I've been to San Antonio, the Alamo's there. And you're like, I actually know the, some of the map, you know? But then you get humbled. You're like, oh, yeah, but I don't know about uh, Vancouver. That's too much. That's, you know. So, but you should be encouraged. Like, you actually start to learn about the map. You actually start to learn where things are. And you actually learn how to use the map and how to get places. So be encouraged. We have to love God's word. And so our first point shows us that the whole Bible reveals God's heart for the nation. So we're going to see this real quick. Knowing the gospel, we see in Genesis 3.15 this promise of a redeemer who would come and crush the serpent. And we've talked about that. And God sent, then he sent this, this flood to show his judgment to, to, to Noah to, to get rid of this, this wickedness. And God promised a redeemer. And the point was that humanity at that point had one language, right? And they tried to build this tower. They were like really this one kind of nation it was known as the Tower of Babel, because Babel is in, in Hebrew is like what a baby. The Tower of like tongue, language. Try to speak without your tongue. Hold it, see if you can say anything. The, the point was they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to glorify God. And so in God's design, he then divided people up into groups and nations because of their sin, because they were trying to rob his glory, which is impossible, but we try. And so this division of the nations allowed the nations to separate in what Genesis 11:9 says. It says, therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them, the nations, over the face of the earth. So the nations come from us being sinful. Um, good morning. Um, it, it's just what happened. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 12, we see that God called this weak and imperfect man named Abram who, who would become Abraham. His name would then change. Um, uh, he, he, would, he was the Jewish father uh, or, or, uh, of, of the Hebrew people, the same people that Jesus would come from. And this promise given from God to Abraham was to build this great nation 
But then look at, listen to this, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. That's the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors, dishonors you I will curse. And in you, listen, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus in Genesis. We would all be blessed through this small nation, through the promise. So do you, do you see that gospel hope of the Redeemer? You see Abraham and Sarah were promised a son um, by God, but they were in their 90s and didn't think God could give them a son. But he gave them Isaac, who became the father of Jacob, who was then renamed to Israel because he wrestled with God. And he had 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And this we see the promise of a Redeemer who loves all the nations And then we see this promise or this covenant to Abraham, whose name means father of multitudes, father of many nations in a sense, because of Jesus. And he says in Genesis 17, 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Huh. It's like God cared about the nations from the beginning. And then we see the nation of Israel get established in these 12 tribes that are told to obey God's law like we're supposed to. This law was given to Moses at this burning bush, and and God says his name to Moses. He says, I am. Moses is like, what's your name? He's like, I am. Then the Israelites, they lost power, and they became weak, and they were conquered by Egypt. By Egypt, they became slaves. And then God set them free, and they crossed the Red Sea. And then later they became these wandering nomads, and they were searching for the promised land under Moses' leadership. In the Exodus was when they they got out of Egypt, and then Moses transferred this leadership to Joshua, who again that that's uh, uh, we I say this a lot, but uh, Americans uh, we call our kids Jesus too. So if if in Spanish we may call the guy Jesus or like, Jesus, why do why do they call their kid Jesus? That's weird. Well, we call our kids Joshua. Same thing, Yeshua, Joshua. We're calling them Deliverer, Redeemer, Savior. We're actually worshiping God when we do that. We don't even realize it. And so Joshua just means Yeshua, this Messiah, this deliverer, this redeemer who would come, who's an image of Jesus, who then establishes Israel as a nation who's in the cycle of sin, and they keep disobeying God and doing what they thought was right, as Judges says, in their own eyes. And then we see, but we still see this promise of a redeemer who loves the nations. We see Israel, this weak nation, just wants to be like other nations, and they want a king, right? So a guy named Saul becomes king, and Saul... um, was who the people wanted. He was handsome and tall. David was short, and, and uh, they say he was handsome, but he was short, and he was just a shepherd. He was young. Then God raises up this weak, uh, harp-playing shepherd boy who becomes a king, a man who sinned greatly and made many mistakes, David, like you and me, but who was known as this king who led a unified Israel, and that became um, this image, this, this idea of this strong kingdom. It was a picture. It's a type of the Messiah, of Jesus who would come. And then this promise given to Abraham was to become um, this true Messiah, this Christ, or this anointed king was to be the redeemer of the world, Jesus, who was coming one day to save all the nations. Then Israel continued in its decline. There were good kings and bad kings. They would get conquered. The nation got split up in two. The north known as Israel, the south known as Judah. They were conquered by the Syrians and the Babylonians and then the Persians. And then that sets the table for Jesus coming as in the Romans eventually came. 
And that sets the time for this Greco-Roman time when Jesus would come. And there was 400 years of a seeming silence. Ezra and Nehemiah, because of Cyrus, another nation, built the temple back. And it set up the stage. This weak people who were always conquered by other nations was now in place. They didn't know it. They thought God abandoned them. And now the promise of a redeemer seems impossible, but God is always in control. And then, again, 300 years before Jesus was when Alexander the Great came and conquered, and the Greek language passed through the whole world. And this would be the instrument and the language that the New Testament was written in. And that would set up the world and all the nations to receive the gospel. It makes me cry just thinking of the detail that God had in his plan. We don't even see it half the time. He used, he used kingdoms. Sometimes we, we hate this political party and that thing and that country. And God's like, I got it, man. I'm taking care of things. You have no clue. He used Alexander the Great. He used the Greco-Roman culture. It's pretty disgusting. Go look it up. They, they did some gross stuff. We think our culture is gross. They were gross. And as he's gre- Alexander's kingdom got divided and the Romans again came, and then it used this, this, this language, Latin came, Latin and Greek. A lot of our English comes from Latin, Spanish, Italian, so many things. We use the, the Greco-Roman alphabet, the, the Roman alphabet to this day, your own alphabet, or it's from this system. So this Greco-Roman world sets up Jesus coming, and the way the gospel was spread so fast because of also the Roman road system that was built, this infrastructure, those roads still are kicking it, most of them. And engineers are like, I don't know how. I don't know what the Romans did, but God used them. And so now then we see this Old Testament or this Old Covenant leaves us with this longing for a new covenant, which was summarized in Jeremiah 31, 34 through, uh, 31, 31 through 34. And it said, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, God says. This is prophesied way before Jesus came. This is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He says, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that, that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Sound like the Holy Spirit? The law. The law. The commands of God. What what does the Great Commission say? Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's the word of God. The law doesn't hinder us. It frees us. We're not legalists. I would say we're (laughs) lawists. It's a stupid word. It's a made up word. We love the law of God. It doesn't make you a legalist. It actually makes you free in Christ. When you don't know God's commandments, you can't live. John says, this is how you know if if you know me. This is how you know if you love me. Or John says, this is how you know if you're a Christian, pretty much. If you keep my commandments. Does it mean we save ourselves? No, that's not what he's saying. If you're a Christian, you will keep. The word in Greek is guard or protect. Like, man, this this is my word. I keep it. I guard it. I protect it. It's not just a book, but the word of God, the inerrant word of God. So listen to the rest of this covenant. It says, God says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
Like we will know God or a synonym for loving God. We actually get that privilege from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, that just means sin, and I will remember their sin no more. Do you see the promise of the Redeemer in the Old Testament? Remember the promise of the Redeemer that we looked at in the New Testament. We saw the hope from the Great Commission. God is consistent. He doesn't change. We change. He's in control. He's had a plan from the beginning, and, and he's invited us to play. He's invited us to play, guys. He wanted us to be disciples that makes disciples. He, he wanted you to know that, that he loves the nations and that you should too. God will, bring, God will bring judgment to the nations, not us. So just know that. We get mad at things so much. We're like, ah, I get it. I'm that way too. Okay? God's got it. He's the one who brings vengeance. And Romans says, he says, I got it. I'm the ultimate avenger. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we're not con to condemn the nations. We're to make disciples of them. Yes, we can judge the nations in the sense of like, they're doing things wrong. We can call them out. That, but we're not eternally judging them. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible is talking about. God's judgment is coming. Listen to some of Jesus' final words in Matthew 25. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in glory, in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd shep separates the sheep from the goats. That's scary. I don't want to be a goat. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then later Jesus says, and these goats will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, Jesus says these goats or these non-believers will be judged eternally. But again, God is the judge. But he gives us, he gives us these righteous ones who will actually know eternal life. Some of us, that's, that's what he's called us, and I hope and believe it's everybody in this room. I'm not God, but I pray he's brought you here for a reason. To keep growing in the gospel. Listen to John 17, 3. He says, and this is eternal life. Eternal life is not just floating around and like, I get to live forever. That's an idea. He says, this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they know you. That they know God. Jesus is saying that they know you, God. The only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. So eternal life is not just going to heaven, but it's knowing or loving God. Your eternal life starts now if you know God. That's what will change you. That's what will make you a true disciple that disciples all nations. If you truly love God, if you learn what it means, look at this picture in Revelation. It says, Revelation 7, 9, John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God loves the nations, guys. God made this promise through Abraham, through the small nation of Israel, that many nations, including us right now, would love him and worship him. So let's respond. Let's respond. And our last point today, and I'll end quickly, is that the Great Commission shows us what we should and can do to make disciples of all nations. Remember, God loves the nations and you should too. So God is calling all of us to make disciples of all nations. Again, you may feel overwhelmed by that. 
Just start and, and pray to God. How does a relationship start? Pray. Say, God, I don't know. I feel ignorant. I don't know what to do. Or maybe you're like, I know stuff about nations. Like, I feel like I'm a culturally aware person, but there's so many things that I still don't know. And I'm growing in. And it's like the map again. Don't obsess over the map. Be free and just, just enjoy the map. We're supposed to, so, so how do you start learning from other nations and about other people and even about your own people, even about yourself? I tell a lot of y'all, go look and just learn a little bit about your heritage. Like, I'm just white. No, you're not. You're some Viking tribe that doesn't exist anymore, maybe, from Scandinavia, this people group. Who knows? You're this people group from Scotland, maybe, from Germany. That's just white Americans. White Americans got all kinds of tribes in them. They don't even know. They're not just white. You are a people. You are descendants of people, that, that, and there's beauty in that. I think white people, they have blonde hair, brown hair, red hair, this hair. I was like, man, it's like the, they're, the, they're their own rainbow. And then there's the other nations, right? Black, brown, Indian, Asian. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Learn. Learn. doesn't mean you have to accept everything from every culture, but just pray to God. And then you know how you grow? Talking to people. In a respectful and real way, talk to God and say, teach me how to grow in this. And then talk to people. Connect with people. Make a friend from a different ethnicity group. And don't be scared. Just say, hey, where are you from? That's not racist, okay? I don't care what the media tells you. Just ask someone where they're from. Oh, you're from uh, that country? Cool, I'm from this country. I'm from this small town in Texas. Awesome conversation. Get to know people. Don't be scared, okay? Get to know people. Talk to them. I encourage you to be part of a church. You have to be part of a church to to really be making disciples. You have to be with other disciples. The Bible says, you know how the world will love, um, the world will see our love for for God is how we love one another. It's how we're committed to each other. Not by all the evangelism and, and social justice and stuff that we do on the outside. God says, no, it's actually how you love each other, church. That's how God uses a people in a church. So invest. Invest with, again, people. Spend time with them. This will lead to making disciples, getting a friend's number, having meals, coffee. It's not just talking about the Bible. It's this holistic life of learning their story. Some of you might be a mechanic. Some of you may do real estate. Who knows? You have different skills. That's part of discipleship. How do you teach a 15-year-old man? How do you disciple him? 15-year-old man. You need to learn how to get a job, bro. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you. You need to learn some man skills. How do you teach a young lady? You, you, you need to get a job. You need to work. You need to go to school. You need to get good grades. It's the same that the world makes disciples, and Christ calls us to make holy disciples, to invest, to be leaders who then have people that follow you, and then you are following people, and then ultimately we're all following Christ. God has called us to make learners. That's what the word disciple means. It's just a learner. So you're just learning somebody up. You're, you're teaching them about God. You're, you're, you're learning, and, and you're teaching them, and they're learning. And guys, it takes courage because most of us, if we're honest, we're just scared. It's hard. You will get rejected. People will think you're a freak. They'll think you're weird. It's like, oh, yeah, but I just want to be that cool Christian that, like, you know, like, can, like, be like Jesus. They, they, they thought Jesus was Satan. doesn't mean you have to be an idiot, okay? It doesn't mean you have to go up there and just be like, Jesus, like, no one's saying that. But even in your winsomeness, even on your best days, people are going to think you're a freak. The culture is going to say bigot, weirdo, closed-minded, right? And that stuff might bother you. And I say, who cares? I don't mean to. But just in that, have courage. 
What is courage? Courage, when you start putting courage into other people, God uses that to build courage into you. He says, love me. He says, love people. He doesn't say do anything else. He says, love me and love people. Most of us are depressed and sad and, and not figuring life out because we're not loving people. When you give your life for other people, then you actually have life. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus modeled. So have courage. Be like the Good Samaritan. Take a risk. Trust God. And we, we, will, we will do what God has called us to do in, in making disciples of all nations. Remember, God loves the nations, and we should too. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we come to you now, Lord. There's so much in your word to talk on this subject, Lord. But I pray that you just work on our hearts, Lord. <clears throat> Teach us what it means to, to know you, to love you deeply. Lord, you are gracious. <clears throat> you are good. And so, Lord, in that, we just ask you to work in us now as we respond to your gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.